0: It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, My name is Derek Lynch, and as was mentioned earlier, I'm an FOS. I'm a friend of Steve. Um, Years ago, uh, Ronnie Floyd was at our church, and Steve and I were together, and Dr. Floyd said, "Um, how far apart are your churches from one another? And I told Dr. Floyd, far enough apart that we can be friends. You know how that goes in church life. But uh, Steve is a dear friend, and I I just want you to know... That uh, I think one of the highest compliments that you can be given is to just be uh, told that you're a good man And Steve Dighton is a good, decent man And uh, you're blessed to have him here during this time And uh, just make sure you send him back to us there in Kansas uh, when you're done with him Um, uh, I've been asked this fall to preach at two different churches here, obviously, today, and then I'm going to get the opportunity to preach at a church in Arkansas in November. And that led me to begin to think about what I would share with a group of Jesus followers if I knew I was only going to get probably one chance to ever speak to them. I thought about that deeply, and that's led me to our passage today. So if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, open them to John chapter... John chapter 15. I I don't know what the customs are in your church, but at Blue Valley Baptist Church, uh, we honor the author of God's word by standing when it's read. So having found John 15, would you stand please as we honor the reading of God's word this morning? Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Have I loved you? Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray again together. Father, honor your word. uh, Bring it to life in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. A few months back, on our first night of vacation, Julie and I did something that we don't do very much. Uh, we, went, we went out to see a movie, and we went to see the movie yesterday. How many people here, just out of curiosity, have seen the movie yesterday? A few of you. Well, I, I won't be ruining uh, anything for you when I just kind of give you the basic premise and plot line. Uh, it's about a struggling young musician who hits his head in a bike wreck during a worldwide 12 second blackout and when he wakes up in the hospital he awakes to a world in which the music of the Beatles has never existed and this presents this young struggling uh, musician an opportunity he he says well uh, if they've never heard them and I remember them I can present them as mine and I'll have all the 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 fame and the the wealth that I never was able to achieve on my own and so he goes about doing it he thinks all I've got to do is is play the notes and sing the words and the world won't know any different at all but as he continues to do this he begins to feel a crushing burden that burden is is that though he is singing the words and playing the notes it all is not true to him it's inauthentic the world is none the wiser but he knows deep down inside that he is only pretending and I'll stop right there with the synopsis of the movie in case you want to see that on your own now I do not want you to think that preachers only go through life experiencing life looking for sermon illustrations but uh, I did as I thought about that movie uh, consider it an an apt metaphor for the Christian life I I find that many people who claim to be followers of Jesus spend a lot of their life playing the notes and singing the words of our faith reading the Bible going to church praying giving things that we tend to think of are, are part and parcel with being followers of Jesus but I think if you were to talk to Jesus followers in a real transparent way, a good many of them will say, you know what, if it's just between us, this feels very external to me. It feels like something that, that I am putting on and not deeply true of, of who I am. In fact, if I were being honest with you, Derek, I would say that I really kind of feel like I'm pretending to be a follower of Jesus by, by doing all of the things I think Jesus' followers should do. And if I'm being real honest with you, I, I'd have to tell you that the real me doesn't feel very transformed. kind of feels like maybe I'm going through the motions. In fact, if I'm being real honest, uh, the, the inside of me feels very much like just a big, giant mess. And so, so what is the answer to this? Well, the answer for many people is to double down, to spend more of ourselves Acting more like a Christian, so we'll buy more books, and we'll read more of the Bible, and we'll sing more of the songs, and we'll give more of our money, and we'll give more of our time, and we'll work ourselves to the point of exhaustion, and still we'll say to ourselves, this feels very external to me. This doesn't feel like something that is authentically me, and I'm worn out, and at that point, we give ourselves one of three choices. We either conclude that the Christian life is is this. It's just the way it is. And so we'll continue to play the notes and sing sing the words and and go through life with a kind of low-grade disappointment in what we call faith in Jesus Christ. Or we will conclude, and I think this happens more uh, often, is that there is something just deeply wrong with me. That I am just more sinful than other followers of Jesus. And so you'll continue to play the notes and sing the words of the faith, but you carry a hidden, deep shame. And then there's others who will be confronted with all of this and just conclude that, you know what? Christianity doesn't work. I'm doing everything they're telling me to do, but I'm not being transformed. It just doesn't work, and you'll abandon the Christian life altogether. But Jesus in John 15 gives us a fourth choice, and it's summed up in one word and that word is abide Jesus came into a world that still exists where there is this kind of prevailing spiritual gravity that is constantly pulling us toward what you might call an outside-in approach to spirituality the idea being that if I do enough things on the outside of my life. If I do enough things externally it will somehow begin to have a transformative effect on the inside of me. This, this outside-in approach was prevalent during the time of Christ. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount fa- found in, in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7 is all about unmasking the inadequacy of an outside-in approach to the spiritual life Jesus points out that you can discipline yourself not to kill somebody and by the way not a very high bar to clear there you can discipline yourself not to not to kill somebody but if you have anger in your heart you're really just pretending you can you can discipline yourself not to commit a physical act of adultery but if your if your heart is filled with lust you really just pretending and on and on and on he goes and then he gives us these shocking words where he says you know what the goal of the spiritual life the goal of following God is not to to act like God on the edges but actually to reflect the very character of God from the inside out be perfect he says as my father in heaven is perfect only when our lives reflect his are we not pretending And singing the words and playing the notes of our faith is never going to accomplish that kind of transformation. And so Jesus says, abide in John 15. In fact, he says it a lot. He uses the word or a form of it five different times in 11 verses. It's not hard to get that this is his point, but it's tricky trying to figure out what abide means in the first place. I think we do a serious injustice when we do what we tend to do with the word abide and, and kind of turn it into a kind of a mystical meditation where, where Jesus essentially becomes like Yoda and teaches us the ways of the force. And we're, we're just kind of floating around. It, it becomes a very mystical kind of thing. But, but what it is, in essence, is a simple illustration that simple people could understand to grasp a simple concept he is speaking of a deep connection a deep abiding relationship with Jesus himself basically when Jesus says abide in me he is saying step into full union with me a deep and intimate relationship with me and as you do that my life begins to show up in yours that's what the fruit is it's not converts to Christianity it's not moral uh, makeover it is actually the life of Christ Beginning to show up in my life so that my life begins to become something like the life of Christ that he himself would live if he were us and placed into our circumstances. It is a deep relationship with Christ. That's very simply what abiding is. But it's important to understand that it is a relationship with Christ. Because many times when we find ourselves caught up in this trap of pretending, of acting like a Jesus follower on the outside, but being very uncertain whether it's authentic to us on the inside, we will say, well, I just need to get more connected with people. And so what you'll do is, is start to pretend in a new way. You say, I I will pretend by being in a deep relationship with other people. And I'm all about being connected to other people. The Christianity or the Christian faith was designed to work in connection with other people. But the flaw, the fatal flaw in accountability groups is the belief that somehow my life being next to your life is going to transform me. That's just simply not going to work. In fact, we hear story after story of people who are in deep accountability groups with people who are pretending in the worst possible way, trapped in deep, deep sin. Those accountability groups only work as we are together, connected deeply with Jesus and moving one another forward into a deeper connection with Jesus. Jesus. The point which I'm admittedly beating into the ground to start with this morning is that the power for living the fully authentic life that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount requires that we live, abide in Jesus. The power for it resides only in Jesus. You must abide in Him. And so let's Let's think of two handles that present themselves for us in the text this morning that can help us understand what abiding means and therefore understand how to stop pretending. First, this. Actively engage God. Actively engage God. Look at verses 2 and 3 again, if you would, please. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, you have been pruned. How? By the word that I have spoken to you. He's saying that abiding branches have this kind of connection with the word of Christ, the scriptures that produce a kind of renewing effect that that there is a there's an experience with the Word of God in connection with God by abiding in Christ that has a transformative effect in our lives. So the abider is someone being renewed by the word. Now look at verse 7 if you would please. He says if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He's speaking of prayer there and he's saying that the abider, the person who is deeply connected with Christ will have a a kind of transformative prayer life where their life becomes conformed to the will of God And as a result, their prayers mirror the kinds of prayers that Jesus would pray if he were us. And so we can ask and expect an affirmative answer. It's not teaching prosperity, as many would have it. It's instead preaching conformity. So for those scoring at home, to abide, Jesus says, to actively engage God, you've got to read your Bible and pray. And to that, you'll say two, maybe three things. The first is, well, Derek, that's not very profound. And it's not. I'm from Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma. We are simple people, and we need it broken down to the very core. It's not profound. It is very simple. The second thing that you would say to me, if you're paying close attention, is, well, I thought you said outside in doesn't work. And it seems very much like reading my Bible and praying... It's just outside in. And then the third thing that you may be saying to me is, well, um, I'm not going to tell anybody else this on my row, but I've tried that, and it doesn't work. I'm I'm not being transformed. But I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus is saying in John 15, because this is key. He is not saying, don't do those things anymore. Those things that we know as followers of Jesus we're supposed to do, to read our Bible and pray and all of those things. He's not saying don't do those things anymore. He's saying don't do them the way you've done them anymore. It's already been mentioned. My son, our oldest, Caleb, uh, played four years of college football at a small college in Iowa. And on the visit where uh, he kind of made his decision and got connected with the school where he'd eventually go to school and play, we had a meeting with the strength and conditioning coach that I have never forgotten. He asked Caleb, he said, Caleb, tell me at uh, Olathe South High School, what kinds of things do you all do when you're training, when you're working out? And Caleb answered the way the strength and conditioning coach expected him to answer. He said, well, we just do weightlifting exercises. Well, what kinds of weightlifting exercises? Well, we bench press and overhead press and then all other manner of things that clearly I don't do. And then he says, and we run wind sprints. You know, we run 40 yards as hard as we can over and over and over again. And then the strength and conditioning coach says, well, we don't do that here at Central. And I peeked up. I thought, well, <laughs> then what do you do? And he says, we, we lift weights, but differently. We run, but differently. We don't do bench presses and overhead presses Because we don't do slow, rhythmic motions on Saturday on the football field. Everything is about explosion and explosiveness. And we don't run 40-yard wind sprints over and over and over again. What we do with people like you, offensive linemen, is that we'll blow a whistle and we tell you to run as hard as you can for 10 seconds. And then you rest for 40. And then you run as hard as you can for 10 seconds. And then you rest for 40. Because that is what is needed on Saturday when you're playing football. Everything he said we do is designed to prepare you for the experience of Saturday on the football field. So we do what you've always done, but we do it with a different goal in mind over and over again. Jesus tells us to do the things that you would expect a follower of Jesus to do. To read the Bible and pray and a whole host of other things. But he tells us to do them differently with a different goal. Hard on the heels of Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount that you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he begins to talk about spiritual practices that would have been very familiar to the Jews. He talks about giving to the needy, which was one of their key spiritual practices. He talks about prayer. This is where we get the Lord's Prayer. And then he talks about fasting, which Baptists want to pretend doesn't exist. And he doesn't tell them, don't do those things anymore. He says, do them differently. When you give to the needy, the object is not on what you're giving or even the person that you're giving it to. Your attention is to be on God. You're doing it as a directed act of worship to God. When you pray, don't just dive right in and say, hello, God, I've got all this stuff. But when you pray, direct your attention to God, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven And when you fast he says don't go around mournful like you would tend to do to tell everybody that you're fasting so the attention is on you Instead do your fasting with your attention not on your hunger or your condition or whether or not other people are noticing you Fast with your attention fully fixed on God. The goal, you see, of all of these spiritual practices is not the doing them. Jesus doesn't ask us to pray and read the Bible and all the other things so that we will do them. He asks us to do these things because it is through these things that we actually engage the life and the presence of God. So to abide in Christ is to fully engage God, By practicing these spiritual habits that we all know about and that we've all tried to be faithful to do our entire lives, but instead of focusing on the actual doing of it, to to stop praying with this incredible awareness, hey, I'm praying. Stop reading your Bible without this incredible awareness, hey, I'm reading my Bible. To do those things instead for the purpose of meeting God through them. That's part of what it means to abide, to actively engage God. The next thing that Jesus tells us in the passage this morning is that we should joyfully obey God. That we should joyfully obey God. Look at verses 8 through 11, if you would please once again. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you abide in my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to notice the relationship between obedience and love. When we are obedient to God through Christ, we deepen our experience with love, the love of God. But when we are disobedient, it begins to fracture that relationship and we begin to disconnect from the life of God. So once again, Jesus is not telling us anything new. Everybody who is in this room understands that to be a follower of Jesus, you must be obedient, but the focus is not on the obedience of the actual doing of the thing that we're being asked to do the focus instead is on this relationship that my obedience nourishes and allows me to connect actually with the life of God we are to obey like we've always been instructed to do just that we're to obey differently one of the things that happens with obedience among Jesus followers is that we can frequently become very enamored with our obedience right we can become very aware of what good little boys and good little girls that we're being the Pharisees of Jesus' day were in love with their righteousness this is why Jesus says to his followers if you want to follow after me your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees they practice their righteousness to be noticed and Jesus says the practice of righteousness is for something different in this way the Pharisees were not unlike these people that you see at the gym if you ever go to work out at the gym there are people at the gym who are dressed in such a way to let the entire world know that their arms are bigger than yours and that Their legs are bigger than yours and that they are generally more powerful than you ever have a hope to be. You walk in there as a middle-aged man and suddenly you realize that um, I'm just this far away from a walker. (laughs) But one thing I've noticed about these people is that they, they really, they don't take a lot of time to bask in the glory that everybody else has given them because they position themselves around mirrors and they're basking in their own glory. They cannot take their eyes off of themselves. Every single movement that they make is with their eye in the mirror. And their internal dialogue the entire time going, I really am quite something. <laughs> well, the same thing, I think, happens in lives of Jesus' followers. In the practice of our obedience, rather than have our attention on God, we have an internal dialogue that's going off all the time. It says, I really am quite something. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, a man that I have known um, in the spiritual realm. Uh, he it was a loosely a connected and affiliated with the church, and uh, he was on Facebook, and, and we were friends, whatever that means, on Facebook. And I noticed that he routinely would spout the most racist, misogynistic, hateful things that I'd ever seen come out of anybody's fingers, I guess, on Facebook. But he would routinely post scripture, his favorite Gaither video, and uh, would frequently engage in self-congratulation about how moral he was. One time in particular, I remember he was waxing eloquent. I mean, a long post about how he was how he's so grateful That he did not defile his body when he was young and in the Navy by getting a tattoo. It's the Lord's temple and I did not defile my body with a tattoo. And I was ready to type in and say, no, you didn't. You defiled it with cheesecake, you out of shape blowhard. Um, And it's at that moment when I recognized that social media was not producing the character of Christ in me. And I got out of Facebook. But that's how so many of us are. So many of us are people who are, are so focused on the doing of our obedience that we never pause to consider what the obedience is meant to do in the first place. The obedience that we are acting on is meant to deepen our connection to Christ and so therefore to live more abundantly in the love of Christ which causes his life to be reproduced in us which causes us to want to obey him more which deepens us in the love of God more which causes his life to begin to show up in us more and more and more and on and on and on it goes. You can't ever ever achieve that if the focus of your obedience is only on your obedience. And what Jesus is saying in John 15 is that the person who abides obeys because he craves. He can't live without intimacy with God and the joy that comes from pleasing him. Any notice that someone like this receives on their character is immediately turned To credit the life of the one living in them whose life is actually what onlookers are noticing in the first place. Their internal dialogue is, I'm absolutely nothing, but he is everything. And I want nothing more in the world than to please him and to bring him the glory that he is due. So Jesus speaks into a world that existed 2,000 years ago and exists today in this room in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Groups of people who are doing their best to do the Christian life, but who feel like they're pretending. Everything's very external. It's something of an act. And he says to them and to us, Abide. Do the things that you've always known to do, but for a different purpose. For the purpose of actively engaging the life of Obey as you've always known that you should do, but obey for the glory of God to live more deeply connected in the love of God. And what I've noted over the years is that that people, when they hear something like this and the Spirit resonates in their heart and says, that's truth from the Word, say, I want to do that. I don't want to pretend. I want to be fully and deeply authentic in my walk with Jesus so that his life begins to to show up in my own. But just knowing sound bites like actively engage God and and joyfully obey God doesn't help me. I, I I need more help. I need some handles for it. And so I want to give you one of those handles today. I brought a book with me that has been very helpful. It's called Praying the Bible. It's by a man named uh, Donald Whitney. He is the professor of spiritual formation at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He, He wrote a book many years ago on the spiritual disciplines that I have used over and over again in my own personal discipleship with people. Um, trying to help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus by actually practicing spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible and worship and prayer and meditation on God's Word and memorization, a whole host of things. I've used that book. But one of the things that I think you should know about me is that I'm like everybody else in that it is really hard for me to stay super focused sometimes In my Bible reading, without my brain wondering, especially if I'm in the Old Testament reading about you know, one knucklehead king after another, right? Stay focused on it to think about engaging God. And in my prayer life, I mean, I have raging ADD, and so there's a firework show going off in my brain all of the time, and my life is moving from one pretty explosion to another, generally. It's hard for me to stay focused in prayer. And I had the opportunity... Um, to go to a breakout session that uh, Dr. Whitney taught at a conference that I attend every winter in Minnesota. (laughs) That's dumb. Uh, My daughter lives there, and and why? I don't know. But but I got the opportunity to go to a, a breakout session, and he taught on the contents of this book. And I don't have time to go into it in depth, but basically he teaches a very simple method you can see it's not a very big book at all he he teaches a very simple method of taking god's word reading it and praying it back to god entering into an engagement with god through the reading of scripture and prayer i'll give you a quick example of how this works we all know psalm 23 So, Psalm 23 begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I read that verse. I direct my attention to God, and I say, God, I am so thankful that you are the shepherd of my life, that by your mercy and by your grace on March of 26, 1978, you redeemed me from my sin and made me your very own. And I know that because you are my Lord and you are my shepherd, I have in you everything I really need. Thank you that you are my shepherd, I shall not want. And after I plumb the depths of whatever the Lord is guiding me in, then I move to the next verse. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Father, I thank you for how you have given me a life of blessing. And I thank you for the nourishment of my family thank you for the nourishment of my church family. I thank you that I have the things that I need to not just be able to exist in life, but to enjoy this life that you have given me. And you get the idea. You go on and on and on with it. What that does is it changes your perspective on reading the Bible and praying. Because it is not just about the doing it anymore. It is about reading God's Word and then engaging God through the Word and prayer. Do that one. If you don't remember anything else about today except that abiding is the key to be authentic in Jesus, then remember that little thing that I've shared with you that you can buy the book and and read on your own about praying the Bible. And I believe that you will move towards active engagement with the life of God, joyful obedience in following after Him, but most importantly, finally, maybe for the first time in many years or maybe ever, you will no longer be pretending. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, above all, you know that when I speak on things like this, that I still have a long way to go. I've been a follower of your son Jesus for 33 years. And, and still I, I feel like I should be more than what I am. And yet, God, in your kindness and your grace, you continue to put up with me. And you continue to show me what your word says to me so that I can become more like you Christ in me being lived out of me is the hope of glory and I believe father that that the people who are gathered here today desperately want an authentic life No longer pretending to have a rich walk with Jesus, but actually having it. And so, God, I pray that you have been able to use your word this morning to give them the hope that that can happen. And then, Father, that hope will move to action as they commit to obedience in pursuing a path of doing what they've always done, but doing them with you as the focus and not themselves. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, it may be that there are people here who maybe wandered into church for the first time in a very, very long time. Or you've been here for a long time, but you've been quietly one of those people that I spoke about early in the message who have basically given up on Christianity. It just doesn't work. And maybe today, for the first time, it's resonated with you that following Jesus is not about doing stuff it is about connecting with him in a relationship where his life overwhelms and takes over yours and begins to be lived out of yours and if that is you this morning I want you to know that you do not need to leave this room without dealing with that Jesus and surrendering your life to him how that happens is that we come To the Lord Jesus, and we recognize I am a sinner. I am a complete mess. And I am completely estranged from you because of my sin. But on the basis of what you have done for me on the cross, I accept that forgiveness. And in return, I surrender all of my life, not to go to church, but to follow you. And being a part of church is is part of following it. But my commitment is you. That's the commitment. That's how you surrender your life to follow Jesus. And if that's what you want to do this morning, we'll have people here who would love to talk with you about what it means. People who would be here to love to talk with you about what it means to be a part of this church body. Or to just pray with you about really moving into a transparent, authentic relationship with Christ. And so as these men are here, I'm going to ask that you stand This is God's invitation to you. This is not my invitation to you. This is not Hoffmanstown's invitation to you. This is God's invitation to you to be obedient to what he shared with you this morning. join me in prayer father your your word never returns void and I, I thank you father that not because of a presentation but because of the power and sufficiency of your word that that you have impacted some folks here whose lives are going to be able to be marked from this day forward as a different kind of life because of your inspired word. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. And as I understand it, I'm supposed to say right now, God bless you, and you are dismissed. Thank you for having me.